What's up, you spooky-ass bitches, and welcome back to another exhilarating episode of the Hello Sydney podcast, a podcast for horror lovers where we discuss any and all things horror, and of course, it's me, your host, Sid. How's everybody been doing? What's everybody been up to? Watch any good movies lately? I just watched this movie the other night called Suitable Flesh on Shudder, and it has one of our horror icons, Barbara Crampton, in it, and Heather Graham is also in it, and I'm actually like reflecting back on it, surprised by how much I actually really enjoyed that movie, so if you have Shudder, check Check it out. No, not sponsored, but Shutter. if you're listening, hook a girl up. So I don't know if anybody else has done this throughout their whole like child and adult life, but ever since I was a kid, I've gotten these like crazy weird fixations on movies. Like I've gone through periods of my life where I've watched the same movie every day for a ridiculous amount of time. And when I was a kid, they would be like more innocent movies. Like National Treasure is probably my longest stretch I've ever had. Like I swear to God, guys, when I was a kid, I watched National Treasure every day for probably like a year to a year and a half. And I swear to God, I mean every day. My best friend Brooke is probably listening to this because she lived this with me. And she like to this day thinks it's the funniest thing ever because she's like, you are like a movie connoisseur, like not even just horror movies. Like you love a good drama, like you're into the Oscar nominated movies and one of your favorite movies of all time is National Treasure. And that is an absolute fucking fact. And I state my regret. Just kidding. I have no regrets because National Treasure is a cinematic masterpiece and we can fight about that all day, but you're going to lose. Sorry, I don't know how I got on a tangent about National Treasure, but now there's a little fun fact about me. I'm obsessed with National Treasure. But anyway, the reason that I bring this up is because that fixation has continued into my adult life, but it just like has now turned into movies that I watch when I'm falling asleep at night and it's turned into horror movies. My second longest stretch after National Treasure is probably It 2017 because that must, I swear, I feel like that went on for like almost a year. I watched It 2017 every night to fall asleep and then I was forced to stop that when they removed it from all of the platforms that I had and then I moved to like It Chapter 2 for a little bit, but it just wasn't the same. But then they took that off everything streaming anyway too. So I searched for a little bit and I tried some different movies, but they didn't always like, it just didn't feel right until I found Us from 2019. Now, Us is a movie that I watched when it came out in the theater in 2019 when it was released and I actually really liked it at the time but I just like never revisited it since like I think I had seen it on TV a couple times like when they show us and get out back to back like especially during Halloween they'll do that a lot like I remember watching it then and then one night I was just scrolling through and I'm like you know what I haven't watched us in a while let me put it on and for some reason it just like sparked this like appreciation of the movie and I've been falling asleep to it every night and it's probably been about three months now I believe that Jordan Peele is like the most prominent and the most talented horror icon of our generation currently like I know people will probably disagree with that and say it's like Ari Aster or something I totally think it's Jordan Peele I think his movies are absolutely fucking iconic and the difference between him and Ari Aster like here's the thing because you guys have probably heard me slander Ari Aster and like slander hereditary at midsummer like I think they're just like such pretentious trash and like the difference between the two of them because Jordan Peele like Ari Aster puts a lot of symbolism into his movies but the difference is that I feel like you can still like and enjoy 
a Jordan Peele movie without understanding all the Easter eggs and all like the deep rooted symbolism. Whereas Ari Aster, it's like you have to read a fucking book to get the point of it all. Or at least you have to like search for all these hidden meanings and shit. And I just want to be able to like watch the movie and understand it. And like Jordan Peele does that. But then like it's one of those things that the more you look into it and the more you understand the amount of thought that went behind the writing, the more you appreciate the movie. So when this movie came out, Jordan Peele did an interview. I think it was with Entertainment Weekly or something like that. And he said that every single thing in this movie is deliberate. And that is, once you look into it, that's 1000% true. Like every character, every image, every commercial, even the things that don't seem like they're important are important and they mean something. So because of this like newfound love I have for us and the fact that I've literally probably watched it six 60 times in a row. Today, we're going to do a deep dive into the movie. So I'm going to explain the whole plot for those of you who either have like not seen it or have only seen it once. And then afterwards, I'm going to touch on everything and what it all means. Because when I tell you literally every single thing has a meaning, every single thing has a meaning. No stone left unturned. Like there was so much thought and so much meaning put into this movie. And if you don't believe me or if you think I'm exaggerating, your mind will absolutely be changed by the end of this episode. So strap the fuck in. Let's just jump right into it. So Us opens up and you just hear the sound of waves and it's a black screen and these words come up and these words basically explain that there are thousands of tunnels, abandoned tunnels and like subway systems and deserted mine shafts and whatnot below the United States. And a lot of them, most of them have no known purpose, which that right off the bat is absolutely fucking terrifying because that's a true fact. So once it hits you in the face with this already really unsettling fact about the country that we're living in, some of us those foreign listeners I see you I appreciate you but that's absolutely fucking terrifying so then the next thing that comes on is this hands across America commercial and I unfortunately as much as I wish I was was not alive in the 80s so I don't remember this whole thing but this was an actual campaign that happened in the 80s and basically it was about these people like standing hand in hand creating this 400,000 mile long chain to end hunger and like address poverty basically it was like a fundraising campaign to earn money to end poverty in America so the commercials playing and we see this shot of the TV and it's explaining how like 6 million people are going to tether themselves together to fight hunger blah 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 and as this TV is playing this commercial we can see like the things on the shelves next to the TV and it's like some VHF VHS tapes of like Chud and the Goonies and this this opens up and it takes place in 1986. So the next shot we get is on a boardwalk and this boardwalk is going to look very familiar to those of you who like me are diehard Lost Boys fans because it is the same location that is Santa Carla in the Lost Boys. It's actually the Santa Cruz boardwalk. So that's where they are. So it's this mom and dad with their young daughter, Adelaide, who they call Addie. And the dad is playing like some game and he ends up winning Addie a shirt. And it's a thriller shirt. Obviously, again, it's 1986. So Michael Jackson is like the biggest thing that's ever happened to the world. So now they walk away. We see Addie wearing the thriller shirt and holding a candy apple. And she like looks at her parents and she sees them walking. And then she looks next to her and she sees a bunch of people on a roller coaster and other people on like a teacups ride. And then she looks at these people sitting at this table, like feeding each other, like this couple. And you might be wondering why I'm like explaining all this, but it will come into play in the end, I promise. Once again, 
everything is deliberate every single shot of this movie. It's also at this point that the mother looks at the father and Addie and is like, you know, they're filming something by the carousel. You should go see if they're looking for extras. And this is a direct reference to The Lost Boys because The Lost Boys came out in 1987 and they would have been filming in 1986 on this boardwalk. So just a fun little Easter egg there. And I love Jordan Peele for this reason. And like, we'll talk about this more at the end again, but like he has such a deep love for horror. And you're going to see that, especially when I talk about all like the references and stuff in here. And it's just like, as a diehard horror fan, it just makes his movies so much more enjoyable to watch, like knowing that this was made by somebody who himself is like a genre nerd and a genre lover. So anyway, they get to this whack-a-mole stand and the guy's like explaining the game and the mom goes to the bathroom and asks Addie to come with her. But Addie's like, I don't have to. And she's like, okay, like Russell, watch your daughter. And he like turns around and just starts playing whack-a-mole and completely doesn't watch his daughter. And she wanders off. Now, as she wanders off, because she goes like towards the stairs down to the beach, she walks by this couple and then she also walks by this man who is holding a sign like a cardboard sign that says Jeremiah 1111 so she gets to the beach and she sees this building that's like a hall of mirrors and it's called vision quest and it says find yourself and this again is going to sound non-important but it will be important later the person on this or like the mascot I guess you could say is a Native American man so Addie goes in she's the only one in this hall of mirrors and there's like sounds happening it sounds like a rainforest and she's going through this whole thing and the lights go out obviously and it's fucking terrifying and she looks up and sees an exit sign so she goes to walk towards it but walks directly into a mirror so now she's stuck and obviously she's a child so she just starts to whistle itsy bitsy spider and clearly that's something that like calms her down because she obviously must be terrified in this situation because I as an adult would be terrified being in a dark room of mirrors all alone. So she starts whistling and then all of a sudden she starts hearing somebody else whistling. And obviously she like gets scared and stops whistling and she goes to back up and we see her back like as if she's in a mirror but then she starts to turn around and this like reflection air quotes does not turn around. So it's not a reflection. It's another person. But this other person is also a child who has like the same exact hairstyle as her has the same clothes on as her so we see her turn around and like the reflection or other person not turn around and then we just get a close-up of her with her eyes widening and then it cuts to the credits and the credits open up and obviously it's like saying the movie title and like the cast of the movie and behind it is just like these cages and cages of rabbits like rabbits of all different colors and like it slowly like starts to zoom out and we see just again tons of cages of rabbits in what seems to be like a classroom and obviously we don't get that now but we'll get that later so then we cut to a car driving through the woods and it turns out that it is the wilson family it's a family of four and they're going to spend the weekend or week whatever at their beach house and um so it consists of the mother Addie, so now grown-up Addie. we know that right off the rip and the father gabe and then the kids zora who's the older one the older daughter and then jason who's the younger son and they're one of those families that has like the stick figure thing on the back of their car so like hilarious so they get to the house and they're sitting around and they're eating fast food which this is an easter egg yet another one because there's many and the chain restaurant that they're eating from is called copper pots and it's actually a direct reference to the goonies because again this is all about like 80s 
horror movies, 80s movies, period. So they're eating and we kind of start to learn a little bit about them. Like we learn that Zora does track and field. She's a runner and she kind of starts to say like, I don't know if I want to run anymore, but can I drive when we're when we're up here? And like her parents say no. And they're kind of going back and forth. And Gabe, the father slash husband is like, okay, well, like you don't have to drive when you're an Olympic athlete. So you can practice running on the sand when we get to the beach. And Addie's like, what beach? And Gabe's like, we're going to Santa Cruz. And Addie just looks like, kind of shocked and Gabe is like yeah we're meeting Josh and Kitty and the girls there like it'll be fun we'll once we get settled we'll go so then Jason is playing with this like finger thing that he has and it's like he flickers it and it's supposed to set on fire and he's like oh it's a magic trick I left it here last year but it's not working and he's like oh this is kind of bullshit like whatever and they kind of just move on so then we see Addie obviously now grown Addie laying on the couch and she has a flashback to childhood Addie and it's her as a child in a psychologist or psychiatrist whatever psychiatrist office with her parents and the parents are talking to the doctor and the doctor is saying I think she has PTSD and the parents are arguing and the mom like obviously pissed at the dad because he wasn't watching her and she wandered off and they're basically saying that like since she came back she's not speaking like she hasn't talked and the doctor's like yeah that's usually like a sign of PTSD like we don't know what could have happened to her in that 15 minutes but like you should encourage her to like write and dance and sing and anything that can help us like tell help her tell us what happened to her so now back in modern times Addie's looking at this like spider figurine that they have on their coffee table and as she's looking at it like an actual spider is crawling near it so it's kind of just like a weird duality thing so she looks at it and she looks kind of confused but then Gabe distracts her anyway and she's basically telling Gabe like I'm not going to that beach like we're not going to Santa Cruz and Gabe kind of like guilts her into going he's like well this is the first time being here since grandma died for the kids so like they're having a really tough time with it and I think it'd be good for them so ultimately Addie's just like okay you know what fine fuck it I agree so then Addie gets up and she's looking for Jason and she asks Zora where he is she doesn't know but while she's looking for Jason she goes into the basement and she sees this like dance studio that was set up down there and you could tell it obviously was set up for a kid because like the bar is low and meanwhile upstairs like Jason scares Zora his sister kind of just like a typical sibling thing and then after he scares her he runs away to go hide in this closet and he puts this like toy ambulance in the closet like in the door so it's not fully closed it's cracked and then meanwhile back downstairs we see Addie looking at this little like bunny stuffed animal that's in a box so you could tell it's probably hers from when she was a kid whatever and then back upstairs we see Zora come by and kick the ambulance out of the door and the door closes and Jason starts screaming because apparently when the door closes it locks so he's now locked inside the closet so Addie goes to get him out whatever and mind you just a side note Jason is always wearing this mask it looks like kind of like a Chewbacca mask like he always just has this mask either like on top of his head or directly on his face so Addie goes to get him out of the closet and her Jason and Zora hear beeping so they go outside to the lake and it turns out that it's Gabe on a boat and he's like all excited about this boat that he bought this boat and it's kind of a shitty boat like the motor just like stops working and he's like oh no they told me how to fix this like whatever like it hangs a little to the left so you have to hold on to it and it's called craw daddy which like this honestly is probably the only thing in this movie that actually doesn't have any significance like Jordan Peele said himself like the boat has no significance it's more of just like a status symbol for Gabe so next shot we get them in the car and they're driving to the beach and it's just the thing I love about Jordan Peele is that he just knows how to do comedic timing so well because he's literally a comedian like for any younger people watching he started off on the show called Key and Peele and he's literally a comedian and Key and Peele had some of the most iconic comedy sketches of all time like I lived off that shit in high school so 
he knows how to do comedy and just like mix it in with horror so perfectly so like this is one of my favorite scenes in the car when Jason's like once again trying to switch his like that lighter thing to do the trick and Zora looks at him and is like why don't you just like tell us what happens and we can picture it. And he just looks at her without skipping a beat and is like, why don't you kiss my anus Zora? And everybody's like, what the fuck? Like, why are we talking about anuses? And it's just like such a wholesome, like family moment. And I think it's hilarious. And before this, Zora makes a comment again, everything's important in this movie. Even the things you think are not Zora makes a comment and says, do you guys know that there's fluoride in the water that the government uses to control our minds? And like nobody answers her because they just think she's crazy. So now they pull up to Santa Cruz and Gabe starts chanting like Santa Cruz like they're all excited to be there except for Addie because she just looks nervous and then we get another flashback of the night that she went missing or she disappeared or she wandered off whatever you want to call it and we see this image of like child Addie in the back of the car and it's like raining and we hear her parents arguing being like she can't even talk like what's wrong with her she can't even speak and she's like breathing heavy and then she snaps out of it because they drive by this ambulance of this guy who is on a stretcher all bloodied and he looks dead we don't I don't don't know if he's dead but he looks fucking dead and he's all bloody and he has a cardboard sign that says jeremiah 11 11 and it's the same fucking guy from the beginning of the movie he's just older now so now we get to the beach and they're walking on the beach to go meet josh and kitty who are their friends who are another married couple and their kids who are these two twin daughters as they're walking on the beach Addie looks over to the hall of mirrors which is still standing however it's under a different name so instead of being called vision quest with the native american guy as the mascot it's called like merlin something and like merlin the wizard is now the mascot so they meet josh Josh and Kitty and they're all kind of like talking and whatever and Josh and Gabe are talking about how Gabe bought the bow and Josh is kind of making fun of him like oh yeah it's a dinghy like whatever and then Kitty is trying to talk to Addie but Addie clearly like wants nothing to do with it she's just trying to like read her magazine and Addie at one point looks at her and is like yeah I have a bit of trouble talking or like I have a hard time talking and Kitty's like yeah I totally get that and then just like continues to talk to her so totally doesn't get the hint and then meanwhile we see Zora sitting in the sand and Josh and Kitty's twin daughters are like are you going to go in the water like they're talking to her whatever and then Jason wanders off to the beach and the twins do this like scary synchronous synchro I don't, can't fucking speak English synchronicity where they're just like why don't you pee in the ocean jinx double jinx triple jinx blackout like they say the whole thing it's like eerily on in sync like eerily so Jason walks off to the bathroom and then we go back to Addie and Kitty and this frisbee flies past like over Addie's shoulder and lands on the blanket and like it lands it's a circle frisbee, obviously. And it lands perfectly in a circle that is on the blanket. And Kitty's like, oh, that's crazy. I've been having such like weird coincidences happening to me lately. And Addie looks kind of freaked out at it. So then we see Jason walking to the bathroom and he sees this man or he's coming out of the bathroom at this point and he sees this man and this man is wearing a trench coat and his back is to Jason, but his arms are kind of out at his sides. Like he's holding his arms out. And we see that from his right hand, there's a bunch of blood dripping and then the scene just cuts and we go back to Addie and she looks at Zora and she's like wait where's Jason so she's like Gabe where's Jason like Addie where's Jason she starts freaking out she's running and then she sees Jason like running out of the bathroom and she runs to him and is like you can't do that you can't just like leave without 
telling me like, especially obviously we know that she has trauma on this beach. So she's scared of losing her child in the same way. So she freaks out and Gabe's like, okay, like I think we should just go home. So they get home. It's nighttime and the kids are getting ready for bed. And Addie's like, okay, I'm going to go say goodnight to them. And as she's walking out of the living room to go say night to the kids, Gabe is watching a baseball game and the announcer says, oh, the game is tied 11 to 11. So Addie kind of stops because again, there's just been like these weird coincidences, like 11, 11 keep showing up, whatever. So she continues on and she goes to Zora and she says goodnight and then she goes in Jason's room. So as she's like tucking Jason and Jason looks at the clock and is like, look, and Addie looks at the clock and it's fucking 1111. So obviously, again, she's freaked out. She's trying not to show Jason, but she goes to like put some of his stuff away and she finds this drawing on his like nightstand. And it's a like a crayon drawing of the guy that Jason saw on the beach earlier. So it's just like the back of this guy with a trench coat on and with blood dripping from his hands. And Addie's like, who's this? And Jason's just like, oh, I don't know. Like he's totally unfazed by it. So Addie just moves on again. Obviously at this point, she's super freaked out. So she's in her bedroom and Gabe comes in and Gabe's just like thinking nothing's wrong. And all of a sudden Addie's just like, Gabe, I want to go. Like I want to leave. I can't be here. I feel like there's a black cloud over me. And he's kind of confused. So then Addie starts to tell him about the story of when she went missing on the Santa Cruz board walk with her parents when she was a kid back in the 80s so apparently she had like never told Gabe about this like traumatic experience that she had so she starts to tell him now and she's like I went into this hall of mirrors and there was another girl in there and she looked exactly like me and Gabe's like well yeah you were in a hall of mirrors and she's like no no no, it wasn't a reflection she was real and simultaneously we get another flashback to that night but this time after Addie turns around we see the other girl turn around and she looks at Addie and gives her the scariest fucking smile you can ever imagine in your whole life and then it cuts and it goes back to adult Addie and adult Addie is saying like my whole life I've just felt like she's still coming for me and like there's been so many coincidences lately and I feel like that means she's getting closer and Gabe just tries to make a joke and is like well I could take you so I could take her too, whatever ha 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 and like Addie doesn't laugh and all of a sudden the fucking lights go out because again it's a horror movie and of course that would happen so Addie's freaking out and Gabe's just like calm down like whatever it's fine and then they turn around and Jason's standing in the doorway and they both scream because they get startled and he, Gabe's like oh the lights went out go back to bed and Jason just goes there's a family in our driveway scariest fucking shit ever imagine your kid saying that to you so Gabe's like there's not a family in our driveway and then the next scene is them going to look out and there is indeed a family in their fucking driveway a family of four and now this family of four I'll get to that later actually I'll tell you that part later the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand so Zora comes out of her room and Addie grabs her phone and starts calling 911 saying like there's a family in our driveway, whatever, like she's freaking out and Gabe's like, calm down. Like, why are you guys scared of a family? Fucking relax. So he's like, I'm going outside. They're trying to all get him not to go outside, but obviously husbands in horror movies 
they never fucking listen. So he goes outside and he's like, hey, like need you guys to get off my property, whatever. They're not budging. They're not responding. They're not moving whatsoever. And then back inside the house, we see Addie tell Zora to put her shoes on. So it's like, mama knows we got to get ready to fucking run. So after getting no response, Gabe comes back in and is like, yeah, let's call the cops. And Addie's like, I already did. And they're 14 minutes away. So Gabe's like, okay, that's way too fucking long. Like, go get me the bat. So Zora goes and gets him the bat and he goes back outside now with a bat. At least he has a weapon and he's kind of just like trying to be tough. He's just like, we already called the cops. Like I'm giving you one more chance to get off my fucking pro like get off my property. Like we can get crazy if you want to get crazy. And then all of a sudden one of them makes this like tapping noise, like I don't know, something like that. And they all disperse like the th like all of them go in four different directions. And one of them who you can tell from his silhouette is a large man comes at Gabe. So Gabe gets back in the house and locks the door, obviously. But now they're just like banging on the door. We can see them like running outside in the backyard. And Zora's like, okay, my window's open. So she goes to run and close her window. And as she goes to do that, we see the tree outside of her window and somebody is climbing up a bit, up it at like an alarming, inhuman pace. And then we see Jason look outside and he sees this kid with like a mask come in the window and obviously he gets startled and Addie grabs him. So now the four of them are kind of just standing in the foyer area and they hear somebody whistling the itsy bitsy spider. Okay. And we'll get to this more later, but somebody whistling itsy bitsy spider. And all of a sudden we see like the like whoever this person, this guy was outside. So they're all wearing like these red jumpsuits, by the way, like all of them are wearing these matching red jumpsuits. And we see him lean down and pick up this rock. And all of a sudden back inside the house, we see the lock start to turn. And Addie's like, it's the damn hide a key. Like they have a fucking hide a key and this guy knew where it was. So Gabe's like, what the fuck? So he like goes to close the door as this guy's opening it. But this guy is just like overpowering him, grabs the bat directly out of Gabe's hand and hits him in the leg. So Gabe now falls to the ground and this guy just opens the front fucking door and is now walking into the house. And we can kind of see at this point, like they keep the lighting really dark. So it's kind of ambiguous. But like we can see that this guy looks a lot like Gabe. So now everybody's coming in from all directions of this house. Like we hear a window shatter and we see somebody else coming in and they kind of back the family, like the Wilsons into the living room. So this woman in a red jumpsuit, again, they're all wearing red jumpsuits, has like a scissor. She's holding the scissor and she's walking into the living room and she just has like such unnatural movements, like the way she like scurries about and she like motions for everybody to sit. And then the younger person in this family the kid with the mask on that jason saw in the window comes in and lights the fire and now at this point we had kind of already been able to see them but at this point we can really see them in the light and jason just looks at them and he says it's us and we get this pan of the fam of both families and it is an exact fucking replica of the wilson family but a whole lot fucking scarier like they just look scary they have these like unnatural smiles again they do these like inhuman movements like they're fucking scary looking so now the Addy doppelganger who we refer to in this movie as Red starts speaking. And when she speaks, she has this like incredibly strained voice. Like it sounds like it hurts for her to speak. So Lupita Nyong'o plays Addy. And that means obviously she also plays Red. And she is just like one of the greatest actresses of our generation. And she's an absolute fucking goddess. I'm obsessed with her. And she actually said that she based Red's voice off of Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s spasmodic dysphonia, which that is a voice disorder that affects the voice 
muscles and basically causes your voice to have spasms. And it also makes your voice sound very strained and strangled. And that is exactly what this character sounds like. So she starts speaking in this horrifying raspy voice and she starts saying, once upon a time, there was a girl and the girl had a shadow. And now she goes on to say that whenever the girl ate, her meals were given to her like warm and tasty. But then when the shadow ate, she had to eat like raw and bloody rabbit. Now remember the rabbits from the beginning. Okay. And then she also says like when the girl received gifts, like they were like plushy. But then when the shadow received gifts, they were sharp and cold and cut through her fingers when she tried to play with them. I'm literally quoting the movie and I'm not actually looking at anything to quote the movie. I promise you, this is just how many times I fucking listen to this shit. I literally fall asleep to it every night. Anyway, so she says, like she explains how these two were tethered or connected together. And she again, just goes on to like discuss all the parallels. And she's like, the girl met a beautiful prince and fell in love. But then the shadow at the same time met Abraham and it didn't matter if she loved him or not because he was tethered to the girl's prince. And then the girl had her first baby who was a beautiful baby girl but then the shadow gave birth to umbre who was born laughing and was a little monster and we get an image of umbre who is the zora doppelganger and just like the smile i think she's the scariest of the four of these like doppelgangers because i don't know just something about the smile that she gives and she kind of like looks down i don't know it's fucking scary so then she explains that the girl had a second child a boy this time and they had to cut her open and obviously that means that Addie had a C-section with Jason. And then she's like, the shadow had to do it all herself. And she named him Pluto and he was born to love fire. And this is obviously the little boy with the mask on. So after all this, she goes on to say, like, for all these reasons, the shadow hated the girl until she realized she was being tested by God. And it's at this point that Gabe interrupts and it's just like, excuse me, like, what do you want? Like, I can give you my wallet. You can take the car. And this is another like just perfect comedic timing he's like you could take the boat for all i care and zora through her tears is like nobody wants the boat dad because it's just like a piece of shit and it's hilarious so he's still going on and on and abraham just like yells this just inhuman screech yell and then like red looks at abraham and gives him a like a symbol and is like like does another fucking noise and abraham just like goes over to gabe and grabs him and starts like pulling him out the door i forgot to add before this before he got pulled away gabe looks at them and says what are you people and red looks at him and says we're americans and then red takes out this pair of handcuffs and gives them over to addy and is like i want you to tether yourself to the table and basically like threatens to cut something off of her with her scissors if she doesn't so addy does it and once addy is tethered to the table that's when abraham is then given the symbol or whatever and then goes out and drags Gabe. He also takes Gabe's glasses and puts them on and you can see that you can tell that he's like seeing clear for the first time in his whole life. So Gabe gets dragged off. So now it's just Addie and the two kids left and Red looks at Zora and goes, little girl, run. So Addie looks at her and is like, yeah, go. So again, Zora is a fucking track star. So Zora takes off running. But then Umbre, the Zora doppelganger, who is like the scariest fucking thing I've ever seen, creepily follows her out. So we see Zora take off and like Umbre takes her time, but then she takes off running right after her. So then we get a glimpse of Abe, Abraham and Gabe fighting outside and like uh, Abraham takes out the scissors and Gabe is like obviously trying to fight him off. And then back inside, Addie, or I'm sorry, Red makes Jason go with Pluto. So Addie obviously like is trying to fight it. She doesn't want him to go, but... 
Um, ultimately, obviously, she knows that he has to. So Addie looks at Jason and says, show him one of your tricks. So we see Pluto and Jason go into the closet that Jason got stuck in earlier. We see Jason put like the toy ambulance in the crack of the door. So it's cracked open, not fully closed. And while they're in there, Jason once again has his lighter trick that he's trying to do that's still not working. And he goes to take his mask off. And at the same time, Pluto, who is his doppelganger or her, his tether, takes his mask off. And we see that Pluto is actually like disfigured and clearly it's from being burned. So like the whole like lower half of his face is completely burned. So now we turn back to Zora and Zora at this point is kind of slowed down, but she got a pretty good running start, but it doesn't matter because we see fucking Umbre creeping up behind her. And now they get to this car and they kind of like one's on one side of the car, the other's on the other side and they're kind of dancing around it a little bit. And then all of a sudden Umbre just like disappears. Like she like drops down and then Zora drops down and doesn't see her, but then it turns out that Umbre somehow has gotten on top of the car. But before before she is able to do anything to Zora, a neighbor comes out or the guy whose car this is comes out and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get off my car. Get your ass over here. Like, what are you doing? And as Umbre gets distracted and is getting off the car and going up to this man, Zora takes off running again back in the direction of the house. And we just see in the background umbre like attack this man with scissors but just in the leg like she doesn't kill him it just looks like she attacks him and like cuts his leg with the scissors so now it's just addy and red face to face in the living room and addy's like what do you want and red's like what do we want and she says we want to take our time i call it the untethering and she's saying this as she like grabs addy's head and like smashes it into the coffee table meanwhile gabe had gotten knocked out by abraham and now wakes up on his own boat that abraham is driving like in a bag luckily for gabe he has a really cheap boat that stops running randomly so like as abraham's driving this boat the boat just stops and like the way to fix that is to hit the engine and that's what gabe had said earlier when he was like oh they taught me how to fix this so Abraham goes up to the engine and starts hitting it. And now his back is to Gabe. So now Abraham gets distracted by this like inhuman screeching that he hears off in the distance. And he starts like shrieking back. It's like they're communicating without words. And as he's doing that, Gabe gets out of the bag and grabs the bat and hits him. So he hits Abraham to the point where Abraham falls off the boat. But now as Gabe is standing at the end of the boat, the engine starts up and Gabe fucking falls off and just like... Abraham gets dragged away by the boat as he's coming up behind Gabe to kill him. So like, luckily that doesn't happen. Abe gets dragged away and the boat starts running. So now back in the closet, we see Jason still trying to do this trick. So he's like lighting it, lighting it, lighting it. Nothing happens. And then all of a sudden it sparks and Pluto gets startled and kind of like jumps back. And as he does that, um, Jason gets out of the closet, takes the toy out of the door and locks Pluto in the closet and runs off to hide. So now Addie and Red hear like wailing or crying and Addie's like, that's yours. Like she knows it's not Jason. She knows that's Pluto. So Red goes over to get Pluto and she like takes him out of the um, closet. But while that's happening, Addie is able to grab a fire poker and like break the part of the table that she is cuffed to. So now she's still cuffed on one hand, but she's free. So obviously she goes to find Jason and it's a good time to go to find Jason because it turns out Red went downstairs. So we see her in the basement where Addie was earlier and she's like looking at that like toy rabbit that Addie had been looking at and she just takes her scissors and cuts the head off of it. So now back outside, we see Gabe get back on the boat because the boat once again stops running because again it's cheap and it stops running all the time so he's able to get back on the boat but then Abe Abraham pops up out of the water behind him and now he has the scissors in his hand still and they're like directly like 
basically at Gabe's eye and like he's like trying to push his head towards it to kill him but Gabe thinks of this bright idea to just like headbutt the motor and it works and the motor starts fucking running and Abraham falls into it and dies he is killed by the motor so now we see Jason hiding in this cupboard that we had seen him hiding in earlier actually and Addie finds him and they run out of the house and as they run out of the house they find Zora in the driveway like she had come back at the perfect time and Gabe also got out of this situation at the perfect time because the three of them now hear the boat honking and they run towards it and Gabe's like all right get on the fucking boat and let's go and the three of them or the four of them all get on the boat and they drive off and they look at the dock and they just see red Pluto and Umbre like staring at them so this isn't over yet so now we cut to Josh and Kitty's house and Josh and Kitty are very well off they have like this nice big house and they have a backup generator so their power goes off but then immediately comes back on because of this generator so Kitty comes out on like the top floor and like looks at Josh and is like what was that like that was weird and I also heard something there's a person walking outside of our fucking like outside of our house like go check it out and Josh is kind of fighting with her he's like oh I don't want to and she's like just get up and go look so eventually he gets up to go look and he's looking outside and he starts kind of fucking with her. He's like, yeah, I see somebody like whatever. And then kind of just like scares her for no reason. So as that's happening and he's kind of laughing about it, the twins come out upstairs. So they look upstairs and they see the twins like on the balcony and the twins are like, what's going on? And they're like, nothing like everything's fine. Just go back to sleep. Um, and as the girls are like turning to go back around, all of a sudden somebody looking exactly like one of the twins in a red jumpsuit comes out of nowhere and stabs her in the fucking throat. Now it zooms out so we don't hear all of this because we're just kind of watching this from outside like in the like through the window but we see all four doppelgangers come out and kill each of their respective family members. So another twin comes out and kills the other twin. And then we see doppelgangers of Josh and Kitty come out and stab both of them downstairs. So now all four of these people, mind you, if I didn't say this already, are also wearing red jumpsuits. So these obviously are the same people um, as the other doppelgangers and they're all doing the same thing. So Kitty is the only one now that's still alive and she starts like crawling towards Josh's body and the Josh doppelganger like goes to reach out his hand to help her and as she goes to grab it he does that thing where you kind of just like take your hand away and like swipe it like as if you're like swiping your hair back like you know that thing that they used to do in the 80s. Now mind you in the house they have something called Ophelia and Ophelia is basically like an Alexa they just couldn't use the name Alexa I'm sure but it's like Ophelia like play this whatever so kitty now is like ophelia call the police and ophelia is like sure playing fuck the police by nwa and as she's getting fucking brutally murdered fuck the police is blasting through the speaker in this house so that to me i don't know what jordan peele's thought behind this one was actually but to me that just symbolizes how like everybody like shits on the police until you fucking need them but now when you need them we're gonna tell you fuck the police so then we see Addie knocking on the door because it turns out that Gabe drove them here for help because they were coming to Josh and Kitty for help so Addie's knocking on the door and we see the Josh doppelganger show up covered in blood and Addie's like obviously she knows that something's wrong and that he's one of them so she takes the fire poker that she has she brought it with her from the house and hits him in the head and then him and like the two other twin girls or the twin doppelgangers come out and pull her into the house so now Gabe's watching this and he tells the kids to run and Josh too like the Josh doppelganger is now coming at Gabe who by the way is injured and has the baseball bat still because he's using it as like a crutch so Gabe leads the Josh doppelganger away to the boat actually which the boat name is Biatch which is like yacht in the middle of it Biatch 
hilarious. So he leads him away to the boat. And when he does that, Jason and Zora go in to like save their mother. Now, as they go in, they grab weapons and Zora grabs a golf club and Jason grabs this like geode statue. It's like this huge, it looks like an amethyst or something. So they go upstairs and they're like slowly going up the stairs because they know what they're going to run into. And mind you, the whole time, fuck the police is playing in the background. So they get upstairs and they see the bodies of the dead twins. And I'll bring that up again later. But then they see like the other two doppelganger twins being like super creepy, doing like cartwheels and gymnastics. And one comes out and Zora hits her with the golf club and she falls over the railing and presumably dies. So then they're walking down the hall to try and go find Addie because they hear her screaming. And the other twin comes out from behind Zora and like tries to attack her. But Zora like attacks the fuck out of her back and takes the golf club and beats her to death. So now we cut to the bedroom and we see Kitty in or the Kitty doppelganger in the uh, mirror. And we notice that she has these like scars on her face and she's like putting on lipstick and whatever. And she it turns out that she ends up having Addie handcuffed to the bed. So she like handcuffed Addie together, but like around the bed somehow so the kitty doppelganger goes up to Addie and like brings the scissor up to her and it looks like she's gonna cut her but then all of a sudden she starts shaking and like pulls it away and then she goes over to the mirror and starts cutting her own face with the scissors and she looks out the window and sees the struggle happening between Gabe and Jot and the Josh doppelganger and it turns out that Gabe ultimately is able to overpower the Josh doppelganger and kill him so the kitty doppelganger is watching this and this is a really creepy moment because she starts like crying but no sound is coming out and then like the crying turns into laughing so it's like obviously like she's technically like married to this man but she obviously doesn't give a fuck that he's dying and she's watching him be killed so as this is happening zora comes up and tries to sneak up behind the kitty doppelganger but kitty turns around and overpowers her and now she's on top of zora on the bed with the scissors to her and Addie is like helpless because again she's handcuffed to the bed so she's like no no like screaming for her and jason comes up behind the kitty doppelganger and hits her in the head with the like geode statue and kills her and now we hear i got five on it playing and i'm realizing that i can't believe i forgot to say this earlier but in the car ride on the way to the beach after the whole like anus conversation Gabe was like we don't always have to be talking like fuck this let's put on some music and the music they put in put on was I got five on it and they all start like singing it and whatever so this song continues to be prevalent throughout this movie so at this point it starts playing and now Gabe comes in he's like still limping and he's just like I am done with boats like it's just like a funny again comedic relief so now they're all sitting around the kitchen table and I'll just say this Easter egg now too. Jason is eating a bowl of like Fruit Loops. And if you've seen Jordan Peele's other movie, Get Out, you know that there is a scene where Rose, the main character who's a fucking psychopath, is eating a bowl of dry Fruit Loops while drinking a glass of milk. And it's just like so unsettling. So this is actually like a direct reference to that. So he's not drinking the glass of milk like a fucking weirdo, but he's sitting there eating the Fruit Loops. And that's a reference to Get Out. So they're sitting around the table and Addie's calling 911, but it's just like all of the operators are busy, blah, blah, blah. So they decide to turn on the news. And it turns out that on the news, it's talking about how everybody is being attacked by people in red who are carrying like scissors or shears. And they're just walking around fucking stabbing people. And they're like in interviewing this woman who saw them and they're like where did they come from and she's like i don't know somebody said they're coming from the sewers 
by gross and the wilsons like gabe and addy are like they don't even know that they look like us yet like they have no idea that these are doppelgangers and then another video shows on the news and you can see a bunch of them in the background it looks like they're all holding hands forming a human chain and you just see all these people in red jumpsuits like holding hands as other people around them are getting stabbed by other doppelgangers meanwhile we now see that as they're sitting around the living room watching this one of the twins is dead on the coffee table in front of them and they're all kind of just like nonchalantly like ignoring it but at this point Addie stands up and starts arguing that they need to leave and like her and Gabe start kind of going back and forth Gabe's like we have everything we need right here like this is we're gonna be safe here and Addie's like tell that to fucking Josh and Kitty whose dead bodies are literally on the floor right here and Gabe's trying to be like let's set some home alone traps or some shit and again just like another comedic moment where <laughs> fucking Zora is like what's home alone so ultimately they agree with Addie and they decide that they're gonna leave and they end up taking Josh and Kitty's car so they go out to the car and of course realize that they have no keys so Addie is the one to go back inside and now again she's handcuffed together because she was handcuffed together and then to the bed and they must have like broken the bed to get her out but her hands are fully handcuffed together and she looks at the coffee table and the twin's body is gone so she goes to grab the key but also just like knows that this twin is gonna pop up so at the same exact time she grabs a frying pan out of the sink and fucking whacks this bitch and now a struggle ensues between the two of them but ultimately Addie is able to grab a pair of scissors that one of the killers has dropped and she like Jason walks in as she's stabbing the other twin to death and he just kind of like casually looks at her and she casually looks at him and then just like grabs the key and unlocks the car and moves on now this is probably one of my favorite moments of this whole movie because again like the comedic timing here is so fucking perfect so Addie gets out to the car and Zora is in the driver's seat and again like earlier she like had wanted to drive so clearly she's not of age and Addie's like absolutely not you're not driving and Zora's like dad's leg is fucked up and like you're handcuffed so that's not safe I'm driving and they go back and forth and then Zora's like I have the highest kill count in the family and Addie's like, you don't have the highest kill count. And then there's like this whole break in this moment and in this chaos for them to like fight about everybody's kill count. And like Gabe comes in and he's like, no, one, one, one. And then I killed myself and I killed Josh. So like I have the highest kill count. And it's just like such a perfectly timed moment. And then finally Addie is just like, it doesn't matter. Like get out, I'm driving. But like as they're arguing, then Jason is like, look, and they look in front of the car and they see fucking Umbre in the distance because did you forget about this motherfucker? Because I did it. She is still around and now she's in front of the car. So Addie gives up and gets in the backseat. So now instead of backing up, uh, Zora starts to full speed go forward. But as she gets to Umbre, Umbre like jumps on top of the car and like disappears. But then Gabe opens the sunroof and it turns out she's on top. So she like stabs through the sunroof with a pair of scissors. And Zora obviously like slams on the brakes and she kind of flies off, but she's held on by the pair of scissors that's now through the windshield. Or I'm sorry, through the sunroof. And now she like slid onto the windshield. So now she's on the windshield and Zora keeps driving and she like stabs through the windshield, but Zora puts on the windshield windshield wiper so she like lets go of it so now she has no grip and Zora speeds up for like full speed and then fucking slams on the brakes and this bitch flies off this car into the woods so now they stop the car and Addie goes out to check and see if she's dead and she finds Umbre like hanging in a tree upside down laughing and she's kind of having like labored breaths like you can tell she's like slowly dying and like as she's doing that Addie kind of looks at her and comforts her and is like shh shh like starts saying that to her 
and like instead of like finishing her off just like walks away and she just like dies on her own so now we see that Addie obviously won the argument because she is now driving and Jason and Zora are in the backseat and they're just like it's daytime now and they're driving past all these dead bodies like there's dead bodies in a car there's dead bodies just like lying on the street and then Jason still has his little magic trick thing and he flicks it and it actually works and he like looks up to see if anybody saw it and Zora looks at him and like just gives him a fist bump and it's actually like a cute little brother sister moment there so now they turn a corner and they run into their own car on fire and they look and they see Pluto in the fucking road because mind you Pluto and Red are still left so Addie stops the car and gets out and goes to approach him and at this point he takes off his mask and then back in the car Jason looks at him and says it's a trap you need to get out and um chase so they all get out of the car and it turns out that there's like a stream of gasoline leading to under the car so like they were going to blow up the car basically so mind you the whole point of the doppelganger thing is that like they think like us right so like abraham earlier when he knew where the key was was because he thinks like abraham like jason right now knowing that this is a trap is because he thinks like pluto so again because they clearly are like connected in that way jason like puts his arms out and starts walking backwards and pluto starts doing the same thing but when pluto walks backwards he walks directly into the fire that is engulfing the car and he fucking like sets on fire and dies and as he's doing that addy is looking at him and is like no no like trying to tell him not to do it so as addy is distracted and everybody else is distracted watching pluto walk into this fire jason's backing up and and we see this horrifying image of red like camouflaged against this red car and she stands up and fucking grabs Jason and starts running. Now Addie notices that this has happened and like starts screaming for him and she starts running after him and she fucking takes off and you can tell that Addie definitely has like a special connection with Jason since the beginning like she cares very much for this kid like I know parents try to say they don't have a favorite kid but this is Jason is definitely Addie's favorite kid. So this leads her to the boardwalk so she gets to the boardwalk which again she obviously has some trauma surrounding this place and she sees all these fucking dead bodies and she gets to the beach and she looks and she sees this line of tethered people like people in red jumpsuits holding hands and they're just like standing there all fucking connected in one huge human chain and like to the point like they're like some of them are like in the water like shoulder deep in the water but they're all just holding hands standing there one of these doppelgangers is the doppelganger of the guy that we saw being carried into the stretcher earlier with the jeremiah 1111 um, sign so it turns out that guy was probably like the first victim and the doppelganger was the guy that Jason saw on the beach with the trench coat on with the blood dripping from his hands so now Addie goes into the hall of mirrors which again this is the place where she has this trauma from being a child so she's like hesitant but obviously she's going in to find her kid so she goes in and she finds this like secret door and it's weird because it kind of seems like she knows where it is like it's obviously hidden and as she opens the door a rabbit comes out so she goes down the stairs and she gets to this like mechanical room and then she kind of keeps going down like further and further and further and then all of a sudden she gets to this door and she opens this door and she finds an escalator going down. So she goes down this escalator and it leads her to this like hallway and it's like this white tiled hallway and it kind of almost looks like a train station or something but it's like this long hallway and there's rabbits like out everywhere just jumping around and she passes this room with all these rabbit cages which is exactly like the rabbit cages that we saw in the opening credits meanwhile back above ground like on real land Zora and Gabe find an ambulance and they're like and they're trying to find like bandages and like first aid equipment and stuff and they look over and they see the same line of people that Addie saw so this line is like spreading across a long 
like long area and now they see it and it's again it's the same thing they're all just standing there holding hands saying nothing doing nothing just fucking standing there so now Addie goes in and she finds red in a classroom and red is like facing this chalkboard and on the chalkboard there's all these stick figures holding hands like again like all the doppelgangers are currently and red is like cutting something like some paper and it basically like she's cutting this like paper into the shape of stick figures and it's at this point that we kind of find out like what the tethered or what the doppelgangers are because now red goes into this whole like soliloquy saying it must have been nice like or how it must have been to grow up with sky and like your people take that for granted we're human too and basically like she explains that she believes that the government found a way to duplicate or clone the body but not the soul so essentially like the government originally started making copies of people's bodies in an effort to control the people above but when they failed they abandoned it and they abandoned the tethered to just like live down there in the tunnels with no direction and essentially like whoever they're tethered to the two being share one soul so that's the thing like they could again like make a duplicate copy of the body but they couldn't duplicate the soul so the soul exists still in one but like split between the two like there's a duality behind it and again that explains why like everybody's so connected like they think the same and like they know the same things and they know each other's next move so again obviously when this whole like government thing failed they abandoned them down there and left them to fend for themselves and red says they all went mad down here except for you and I, because we were born special. And this is where the opening scene is important and comes back into play. And it's going to make sense why I was describing everything because simultaneously, it's going to show us that scene again. So like little Addie walking with her parents and in front of her, she sees her parents. She looks and she sees people on rides. She looks and she sees people eating like this couple feeding each other. And now we see that at the same exact time as that was happening down below, the same exact thing was happening. But in a different way so now underground we see red as a kid and we see her parents doppelgangers and they're all again like there's these like inhuman movements and these inhuman smiles and like at uh, red looks over and like sees people like they're pretending they're on like a roller coaster and they're pretending like they're on teacups like they're making the movements as if they are but obviously they're not because they're just in a hallway and then she looks in and sees the couple sitting at the table, like feeding each other. But instead of feeding each other like carnival food, they're feeding each other raw rabbit because that's what the tethered eat down here. Now we're understanding that everything that was happening in the real world was also happening down in these tunnels. Like the tethered were doing the same exact things, but again, like they were doing it in a much more depraved and inhuman way. But then Red goes on to say, God brought us together that night. So when Addie was in the Hall of Mirrors, it wasn't a reflection it for sure was a real girl and that real girl was red so now it shows us that that night as Addie wandered off down the stairs to the beach red wandered towards the escalator and up out of the tunnels and that's how they met again like the meeting point was in the hall of mirrors and then we get the shot of young Addie looking at this hands across america shirt um in a locker which is like kind of weird but we'll get to that and red goes on to say like i've never stopped thinking about you since that night and how you could have taken me with you and then she goes on to say that a few years later she had like her revelation basically and it shows Addie dancing because Addie was like a professional dancer as a kid she was a ballerina so it shows Addie dancing and then it shows red too i mean red dancing 
underground as well at the same exact time. And basically that was like an eye-opening experience, that whole dance. And Red explains how that night was the night that the Tethered saw that I was different and they knew that I would like lead them to salvation basically. So we began to prepare and it took years to plan. And she basically was like, I didn't just need to kill you. I needed to make a statement that the whole world would see. So they planned this whole attack for years. And then we also get another image of Red, now adult, obviously, looking at this Hands Across America t-shirt that we saw earlier in the locker. And then Red makes a comment that you will be familiar with if you are a fan of the Goonies because she says, it's our time now, our time down here. And then she says what I believe to be one of the most beautiful lines, if not the most beautiful of the whole movie. She says, if it weren't for you, I never would have danced at all. And then immediately we get this orchestra version of I Got Five on it. And the mere sound of this fucking music gives me goosebumps. So another little fun fact that I'll throw in right here. So this orchestra version of I Got Five on it was actually originally made for the trailer of this movie and was never going to be in the movie at all. But then Jordan Peele saw how like well recepted it was or like how how people loved it in the trailer and decided to put it in the whole movie. And I actually can't imagine this upcoming scene without this music. So it was probably like the best artistic choice he could have made because the next scene consists of both Addie's or Addie and Red fighting, but it is the most like well choreographed fight scene ever because again red has all these like inhuman movements and then simultaneously it's showing us addy and red dancing so like addy dancing on stage red dancing down in the tunnels and it's just like going back and forth and this music is playing and it's just like such a beautifully shot scene and just like again the duality of it like it's it's gorgeous so Addie keeps trying to attack red with the fire poker that she still has she keeps missing she's swinging she's missing but then like equally red is like taking the scissors swinging missing but there's like a time where like red totally could have killed Addie with the scissors but I think she's just like toying her because she lets her go and they keep fighting so this goes on for a little bit and then red runs away and Addie follows her into another room and mind you, this room we see, it's like all like bunk beds and it literally looks like a fucking prison. And as Addie has her back turned, we see Red come up behind her holding up the scissors going to stab her. But before she's able to do that, Addie turns around and puts the fucking fire poker through her chest. So Red falls to the ground and obviously she's dying because she just got impaled with a fire poker. And she looks at Addie and she starts whistling. Okay. And Addie just like takes the handcuffs because mind you, she's still fucking handcuffed. She takes her handcuffs and strangles Red with them and snaps her neck. And she lets out this like primal scream, but then she starts laughing and she finds these keys around Red's neck and it's the keys for her handcuffs. So she finally uncuffs herself. And then she goes to this like row of lockers and she looks in one of the lockers and she finds Jason. So Jason's been hiding in there just like he hid in the cupboards at home and she grabs him and she's like, oh, my baby, my baby. And he seems kind of hesitant. So she shows him her face and like, look, it's me. Like they're all gone now. They can't hurt you. Everything's going to go back to how it was before. So then the two of them kind of hug, whatever, and they go back up to the real world and they find Zora and Gabe and they all get in the ambulance and they drive away. Now we see that Jason is holding a rabbit. So obviously he took one of the rabbits and uh, now is the point where the plot twist comes in because we see what actually happened on the night that little Addie went missing or ran away. So we see adult Addie like kind of looking off into the distance and now we start to hear the voices. Um, we get a flashback and we start to hear the voices of her parents arguing with the doctor. Like once again, they're talking about how it's PTSD. Um, like she can't talk, blah, blah, blah. And we 
see the full scene. And that night when Addie was in the house of mirrors and she turns around and she comes face to face with Red, Red starts strangling Addie and Addie falls to the ground and all of a sudden she's being dragged underground by Red and Addie wakes up down now under in the tunnels which we know is where the tethered live Addie wakes up her thriller shirt is off and she is handcuffed to a bed and she kind of like rubs her vocal cords because again she was just strangled so I'm sure that fucking hurts and she looks up and she sees red putting on the fucking thriller shirt giving her the scariest ass smile you could ever imagine and just walking away so you guessed it baby the Addie that we have been following the whole movie is a fucking tethered who attacked the real Addie and switched places with her. So now we see kid Addie in the back of her parents' car, like when she's having that moment where like they're like, oh, she can't even talk. Look at her. And she's like breathing really heavy. And we see that she really just like lets out this creepy ass fucking smile because her plan worked. And now she gets to live above with the real humans and not below with the tethered. So then we come back to modern times and we see Addie kind of like snap out of this flashback and she looks over at Jason and Jason looks at her. And like to me, for some reason in Jason's face, it like seems like he knows, like he put it together and he knows. And Addie just like looks at him and smiles and continues to drive on. And that's fucking it. And then the song starts playing and the camera zooms out and we see this massive chain of tethered holding hands, like hands across America, fucking holding hands. And in the distance, we see a bunch of helicopters that just like smoke and destruction and the movie ends so yeah there's a lot to unpack here so before i get into like all the hidden meetings and stuff let's just talk about some fun facts and like trivia about this movie because again like jordan peele just put so much into it and he's just such a horror lover so jordan peele actually gave an assignment to all the cast on this movie and he actually told them to watch 11 movies like 11 different horror movies because he wanted everybody to be on the same page so those movies, I've seen 10 out of the 11 of them. The only one that I haven't seen is this movie called Dead Again from 1991. So that's the first one. And the other ones are Jaws, The Shining, The Babadook, It Follows, A Tale of Two Sisters. That one's going to be important. The Shining is also going to be important. The Birds, Funny Games, Martyrs. Like, okay, I guess you're going to like traumatize your fucking cast, bro. Um, Let the Right One In and The Sixth Sense. And I guarantee you that he purposely picked 11 movies because of the significance of 11-11 in this movie. Another little fun fact that I don't actually think is fun at all, I think it's kind of terrifying, is that there actually is an underground tunnel system underneath the Santa Cruz boardwalk, but they say that it's used for like storage and shit, but I don't know. I have a hard time believing that. So I told you guys obviously about the Get Out reference with the Fruit Loops, but there is another Get Out reference. And as Addie is walking into the Hall of Mirrors, you can see the words Get Out carved into the sides of the entrance. So that obviously is like a direct reference to his own movie which i absolutely love that he does that also i love directors who like make cameos in their own movies like hitchcock does it all the time or did it all the time m night Shyamalan does it all the time and jordan peele kind of did it in this movie because the voice that is playing in the hall of mirrors is his voice lupita nyong'o remained in character as red during the whole movie like whenever she was filming the sequences as red and like obviously the cast was super unsettled by this and like that's the scariest shit i can imagine like again i hope you guys watch this movie to understand what I mean by like the inhuman like unnatural movements because 
if you know, you know, and I can't imagine having somebody be like that around me all the time. So that's fucking terrifying. There are a lot of references to The Shining in this movie. So the first one is there's an actor called Duke Nicholson in this movie. And his character is actually billed as Danny slash Tony. So that's another thing. Like all of the tethered are, they're never like named. They're not all named in the movie with the exception of like the four Wilsons, obviously, but they are all given names in the credits. And a lot of them are horror references. So there's one character that's like Nancy slash Sid. So obviously like Nancy and Sydney, the two final girls. And then um, there's this one character, Danny slash Tony. And this guy is played by Duke Nicholson. And I believe it's one of the, um like one of the guys running one of the carnival games and i guess like <laughs> fucking jordan peele told duke he was like yeah you should play this uh play this role like lloyd from the shining have you ever seen it and duke nicholson is like yeah dude jack nicholson is my grandfather like jordan peele had no idea that this guy was jack nicholson's fucking grandfather like this was totally a coincidence also the first shot that we get of them driving to the beach house that is a direct reference to the shining as well so you know you get that overhead shot when they're driving to the overlook so now we get this overhead shot as they're driving to their beach house and then the twins in this movie also are a direct reference to the twins from the shining the grady twins um like the way that they say everything like eerily in sync is supposed to be like that and then the shot of them dead at the top of the stairs after their doppelgangers kill them is actually like a shot for shot remake of how the dead bodies of the twins are laid out in the shining so they're in the same exact position speaking of those twins i think this is adorable their first acting role they actually like took turns playing baby emma in the last season of friends so for all my friends fans love that so when i say everything in this movie has a meaning guys i really mean that everything in this movie has a meaning so jeremiah 11 11 is obviously like 11 11 in general is a theme throughout this whole movie but jeremiah 11 11 comes up a few times and jeremiah 11 11 in the bible the passage says therefore thus saith the lord behold i will bring evil upon them which they shall not be able to escape so that basically is just like a foreshadowing of what's to come like this evil is going to come up and they're never going to be able to escape it unless they kill them which mind you addy at one point is like there's no escaping they won't stop until they kill us or we kill them so basically like a direct like illustration of jeremiah 11 11 ophelia which again is the name of like the alexa uh ophelia is actually derived from the greek word for help so the reason that ophelia was named ophelia is because it quite literally means help now remember that moment where Addie is um like walking to go say night to the kids and she hears the baseball game saying they're tied at 11 11 they mention that one of the teams playing is minnesota and what is the name of the minnesota baseball team the twins again everything has a meaning even something as simple as that all deliberate all purposeful now the symbolism of the rabbits and the red jumpsuit so that actually is a direct reference to alice in wonderland and like the red queen obviously is the villain and that's why they're all wearing red jumpsuits and then the hall of mirrors symbolizes Addie literally going through the looking glass in that beginning movie remember i said how you can see some of the uh, vhs tapes on the side of the tv as the hands across america thing is playing so two of those movies are chud and the goonies now if you've seen chud you know it's about a bunch of underground creatures and obviously if you've seen the goonies you know this also takes place in a bunch of underground tunnels so that's a direct reference as to like what's going to happen so like people coming out of the tunnels and people like living down in the tunnels one of the movies that i said in the beginning of this um the first fact that Jordan Peele made some of the cast watch. One of them was Funny Games, and he actually directly references Funny Games in this movie as the family all sits on the couch coming face to face with their 
like the intruders. So if you've seen Funny Games, which is a really fucked up movie, um, the two intruders do the same. They make the family sit on the couch and face them. So Jason's name is Jason because that is a tribute to Friday the 13th and Jason Voorhees. And Jason also, like Jason Voorhees, wears a mask. But there's also a deeper meaning of that because in the first Friday the 13th, Jason obviously is just kind of the red herring and the real villain is the mother. So there's going to be many hints that I go over that should have told us that Addie was like not real or that Addie was the villain. Um, And that's one of them. So basically like Jason being a reference also is a reference to the fact that Jason's mom is the real villain here. Now there's also quite a few references to the movie A Tale of Two Sisters here, which that's another one that Jordan Peele made the cast watch. Um, Incredible foreign movie, by the way, if you haven't seen it. But the scissors actually being used as a weapon, there's many reasons why that happened. But one of the reasons is because that's actually one of the weapons used in A Tale of Two Sisters. Now also a reference to A Tale of Two Sisters, because if you've seen this movie, I don't want to give it away um but basically it's about twins and again obviously this whole movie us is about twins doppelgangers duality um so addy in the beginning is wearing like a well the beginning of the night that everything goes to shit is wearing like a white outfit she's wearing like a white shirt and like a white hoodie and as she progresses and as they kind of like chase down the doppelgangers and there's this whole thing her shirt gets progressively more bloodied and progressively more red so this also is directly a reference to a tale of two sisters because in that the same exact thing happens one of the sisters is wearing a white dress that progressively gets more and more stained and more and more red with blood but this for Addie is also a symbolism to show how she is slowly just like turning back into her true form of one of the tethered because obviously again the tethered wear red jumpsuit so she's slowly also becoming or like beginning to wear red herself Zora is wearing a hoodie throughout this whole thing. Speaking of things that people are wearing um, and on the hoodie, it says though T H O, which obviously in America is like shortened for though, but in Vietnamese T H O means rabbit. So also intentional. Oh, what I said earlier about how they were standing in the driveway and I said I'd come back to that. So when they're standing hand in hand in the driveway, like the family of the four doppelgangers, they're actually standing in the same exact order as the stick figure family was on the back of the Wilson's car. So I had mentioned earlier how... um, Kitty's doppelganger, which looking back at this now, uh, her name was actually Dahlia. So again, like they didn't say their names, but they all are credited with names. So Dahlia had like scars on her face and the way she was like cutting her face with the scissors. And earlier, Kitty had referenced how she got plastic surgery. So obviously like she got plastic surgery up here, but down below they were obviously like doing their own like makeshift plastic surgery. And Dahlia was probably doing it to herself, which is how she got those scars. So like I said, there's a lot of scenes um, that pointed to the fact that Addie was actually a tethered. And I'm going to be perfectly honest, like this is one of those plot twists that came out and I was like, I'm fucking stupid. How did I not see this coming? But like for some reason, when I watched this the first time, I took it completely caught me off guard but like now looking back at it and like looking at all the hints that we had I'm like am I just fucking dumb or did Jordan Peele just do that good of a job like distracting me with other things so the first clue that we have is the fact that like red can speak so obviously all of the other tethered are talking in like screeches and screaming and just like these like inhuman noises meanwhile red is the only one that's able to speak and obviously she's speaking in a way where either she hasn't spoken in a really long time 
or she has damaged vocal cords as a result of being strangled. On the other end of that, we see Addie as a child not speaking at all because according to the psychiatrist or whatever, she had PTSD, but she's not speaking. And then as an adult, when she's on the beach with Kitty, remember, she's like, I have a hard time talking. So that right there was a hint. So like obviously, like looking back on this, we realize that child Addie wasn't able to speak or like wasn't speaking because she wasn't able to. She never learned how to speak down there. So it took her a little bit of time to start speaking because she had to learn how. Like it wasn't PTSD. It wasn't anything like that. Like she physically had to learn how to speak. Now, another sign that Addie actually was a tethered and they were reversed was in the psychiatrist's office because while the parents are talking in the psychiatrist's office, we see child Addie playing in this like sandbox. And as she's playing in the sandbox, if you look, you can actually see that she's arranging these little animal figurines in a straight line, like exactly like across America and the last animal in the lineup is a white rabbit so that's a that's a tell right there another hint is just like all of the references that the tethered make so like for example all of the tether tethered wear a single glove and obviously like Addie was a Michael Jackson fan because she had that thriller shirt and again this was 1986 so this like Michael Jackson was at like the peak of his career um so they're all wearing a single glove obviously hands across America is like a huge theme in this movie the Goonies is also referenced a bunch of times and basically like the reason is because this would have been the last pop culture references that Addie had so she brought that with her and is like still carrying that now now in like the 2000 whatever 2019 this movie came out so they're wearing one glove like michael jackson whereas like he's not nearly as relevant in 2019 as he was in 1986 but she doesn't know that speaking of thriller like that actually is also symbolic because the endings of these like the thriller video and this movie is kind of similar in that it leaves us questioning the identity of the person um, and it also ends with the person in question giving us a really suggestive smile. Other signs that we should have picked up on that told us that Addie was a tethered and Red was not a tethered. Um, so when Zora or Umbre is killed and Addie like goes into the woods and is comforting her, like I said, a little weird. And then the same thing with Jason how she, or Pluto, how she's telling him like not to back up. So like maybe she feels this way because she like feels guilty and she knows that those should have really been her kids. Like those kids are tethered and like it shouldn't have been that way when in reality like her own kids are technically half tethered because Addie's tethered another clue is how Addie laughs after she kills red um because again like laughing seems to be a theme with the tethered so like what's her name kitty's doppelganger dahlia does the same thing like as josh is being killed and like umbre does the same thing as she's dying another hint is during the original soliloquy when red and the family show up red mentions um i realized i was being tested by god which if you think about it how would any of the tethered know about god so obviously this person, Red, could not be a tethered and she must have learned about God previously somehow. And again, her just being the only one out of these people who can speak, like should have told me from the beginning what was really happening. But I was just, I don't know. I was naive in 2019. I don't know. Addie also is handcuffed for like a majority of this movie, which literally is just showing us that she's fucking tethered. Like that's like slapping us right in the face. Another thing with her, and this is something that like, I remember when this trailer came out and people were making fun of it because when I got five on it is playing in the car, when they're on the way to the beach, she like turns around and looks at Jason is like, come on, get in rhythm and start snapping, but is snapping like completely offbeat. 
And I remember people being like, oh, get in rhythm and then completely goes off for them. But that was purposeful because it's showing us how Addie is like not in tune with the world because she's not really supposed to be here. She's a fucking tethered. Now, another thing going back to the whole like Addie's the real Addie, like her references would have all been from like 1986 because that's the last time she like witnessed any pop culture. The whole thing when Josh goes to do that fake handshake thing, it's almost like, okay, did Addie teach everybody that as a way to bully the people above because again that's how we used to like bully and fuck with people in the 80s and that's all she would have remembered another massive hint that i like slap myself for every time i watch this for not getting is the whole itsy bitsy spider thing and like the whole whistling thing so obviously like i said when real Addie is first in the hall of mirrors and the lights go out she whistles itsy bitsy spider to herself to like almost calm herself down and then we hear gabe i mean sorry abraham whistling itsy bitsy spider outside of the house so how the fuck would he have known that if he didn't learn it like that is just again slap it's directly it was we had it he was feeding it to us how did i not know now an interesting thing about the tethered is that it seems like they can only kill their own counterpart so like umbre when she goes to attack that neighbor she only stabs him in the leg she doesn't kill him and like kitty's doppelganger when she goes to hold the scissor up to addy like she doesn't kill her and she kind of like walks away angry as if she can't kill her and then like yeah she's on top of Zora with the scissors and like she doesn't kill her and like obviously Jason stops her before she can but the only like murders we see from the tethered are them killing their own counterparts so like um obviously like Josh Josh's doppelganger kills Josh Kitty's doppelganger kills her the twins doppelgangers kill them so it's almost like they can't kill the other one so I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that their souls are one like I don't know or maybe like Addie or Red whoever we want to call her the real Addie like directed them to only kill their own and obviously they're all just like blindly listening to her because she's like their savior another fun thing that I actually didn't ever notice until I was like looking through little trivia for this movie so um before everything happens there's a book on Zora's table that you can see and the title of it is they came from below so again just another hint that people are going to come out of the fucking tunnels I said earlier how the scissors were like a direct reference to um a tale of two sisters but in addition the scissors, this was said actually by Jordan Peele, the, sim- the scissors represent duality, just like everything else in this movie, because it's obviously two parts and it symbolizes like cutting ties, but also like they can't work without the other one. Like it's a pair of scissors, you know, you can't just use one side of it. They have to work together. And it's very possible that when Addie, or I'm sorry, Red does her like soliloquy and is like, you got nice toys and we got sharp toys that cut through our fingers. It's possible that those toys were scissors and that's why they all have scissors. Also, I said I would go back to this. So earlier when Zora makes that comment of saying like, do you know the government uses fluoride to control our minds or whatever? That is a huge hint that this whole thing is going to be like a failed government experiment. Because again, the whole point was like it was a experiment that the government did to try to control people and it failed miserably. And now we have these crazy tethered people that lost their fucking minds in the tunnels. A couple other movie references here. So um, Abraham is killed by a motor and that is actually a direct reference to the original I Spit on Your Grave in which somebody dies the same way. There's also a reference to Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange just because in that movie, like if you've seen it, there is a scene where these people like break into this like upper class family's house or upper class couple's house really and they invade 
made as they're and they're like attacking them to this like upbeat music so it's actually the same thing when fuck the police is playing as the whole like josh and kitty family is being brutally murdered so now just getting into like the real meaning behind this movie so obviously like jordan peele um does a lot of social commentary in his movies and where get out is more about race obviously us is more about class and class systems in America and just like society in general because this is another thing I said I would go back to so remember how um, the House of Mirrors or the Hall of Mirrors was originally called Vision Quest and had a Native American mascot and then it turned into Merlin that is basically just like a huge commentary on how America just loves to like overlook these atrocities that have happened and like this jet these genocides that we've happened and just cover it up with a completely different story and just like almost ignore it like it never happened and the whole point of that is like inside the hall of mirrors still exists you know so and like underneath it is all the tethered with all this like really like this dark obviously like failed government experiment so it's basically like okay you tried to cover up the fact that we had like uh something based off like native americans but like inside it's still all the same fucked up shit like just by changing what's on the surface doesn't mean you've changed what's inside and have changed the history at all obviously again like hands across america is a massive theme in this movie so in reality hands across america once again did happen like the commercial that they showed at the beginning was the real commercial and they ended up raising about 34 million dollars for hunger but a lot of that most of that was eaten up by operational fees which left 15 million dollars to be actually donated to the cause which like is still a huge chunk of money but in comparison it's like they had to put on this huge spectacle to be able to gain this to the point where like most of your profit had to go towards like funding that and that again just symbolizes how like we as a society almost like we try to cover things up by putting on this like facade so it's like yeah hands across america like we're doing this huge thing but in reality we're covering up like the real issue which is like the poverty and the homelessness and the inequality and like the socioeconomic statuses so jordan peele around the time this movie came out did an interview with essence and um at this point, he tells them that the whole like doppelganger point is about the fear of the outsider in America. And I quote, and the fact that our suppressed demons look like us. And in this interview, he also said how this whole thing like tackles obviously the class system, but also the prison system. And essentially, we try to like hide the people that our society kind of fails to acknowledge. And like that obviously is directly shown by the cages, which obviously the cages are for the rabbits, sure. But the cages for the rabbits, as well as like, remember I said how the bunk beds all look like prison? Yeah, that's purposeful. Jordan Peele in this interview also said, this movie is about all that we tuck down into the recesses of our society and fail to acknowledge. All of those that suffer on the other side of the privileges that we have. So essentially, while people are up living in the real world, there are people who are tethered to them living in squalor and suffering down below. And that's just, again, a direct representation of the class system in America, how like some people are privileged and some people like enjoy the luxuries. Meanwhile, other people are suffering as a result of it. And he ends this interview with saying, in its core, this movie is about our failure to point our finger at ourselves. So again, this movie is all about duality. It's all about twins, doppelgangers. So it's like we're looking in the mirror and we're like ignore, like choosing to ignore the issues. So again, this is all about like how unequal the class system is. And once again, going back to Gabe, like one of the only things that really doesn't mean anything in this movie or like doesn't have any underlying meaning is the boat. But again, that's like a huge part of Gabe's 
character development and Gabe's Gabe's story because even though it's a cheap boat he still likes to brag about it like oh I got the boat and he's telling his rich friend he got the boat and then like Josh kind of puts him down for it and then Josh is like yeah well I got a new car and it's a really nice car and Gabe's like he got that car to fuck with me like taking it personally because like he's not as well off as Josh and he can't afford the same privileges that Josh can and even though he's trying like the things that he can afford and he can get just aren't good enough and he still feels inadequate now even the weapons that they use in this movie represent this whole like system imbalance because um the original weapon that we get from the wilson's house is a baseball bat so a baseball bat is something like more affordable something more people are likely to have in their home whereas they go to josh and kitties and the weapons that they use are something that would probably be found in like somebody who is a bit wealthier's house so like they use the golf club and they have like that geode statue and like going back to the whole um hands across america thing because this is something that i forgot to mention but the whole point is that like Poverty and homelessness in American society seems to just be like constantly buried in politics with no actual resolution to the problem. Like to solve homelessness and poverty in this country, one billionaire would have to give like maybe one percent of their money and we're just not doing it now just a couple other little like tidbits that i think just show how well thought out this movie was so um gabe's tethered is named abraham and that actually is a reference to abraham from the bible so abraham in the bible is a patriarch and he was completely devoted to god and essentially abraham is like completely devoted to red because red is like almost their version of god again like she's their savior she's the one that's going to take them out of this like squalor and these awful conditions that they're in umbre is derived from the latin word for darkness and let me tell you she is dark as fuck like once again she definitely is the scariest out of those four tethered and then pluto actually is the god of the underworld in mythology but then he's also the god of wealth and deep earth and now at the end there's this song that's playing and it's kind of talking about like the seeds like we all have the seeds whatever and there's this theory actually that jason and pluto might have been switched at some point and this theory really derives off of this image at the end where jason like looks into the car window and people say that they can see a reflection of pluto like pluto's mask that he wears and like they showed like i saw a screenshot of it personally i ain't fucking see it but if people are saying they see it maybe they see it so maybe they were switched at some point kind of like addy and red were you know so maybe like the real fucking Jason is now Pluto. But either way, again, Pluto being like the god of wealth and the god of deep earth and the ending song and like the last shot being Jason and like the ending song being about like the seeds of the earth. Does that mean that like Jason or Pluto technically, if he was switched, is now going to be like the leader of the new earth and like plant the new earth and the new world? Because honestly, what does the world look like after this? Like this happened in California, but was this happening all over the country too? Like how far did Red's influence spread? Something that I also think is worth noting in this movie is that like obviously the tethered are like they represent like the less privileged and the people that we kind of forget about in society and the people that we tuck away and whatnot. But at the same time, they are much more like physically strong so um like all of the people that attack the wilsons like they're tethered they're doppelgangers like zora okay right so zora is like a track star so she runs off and she runs off quick and ombre lets her get a running start but then it immediately catches up with her without even being out of breath gabe tries to fight off abraham and abraham like without even flinching completely fights gabe off and like 
drags him with one hand the sequence at the end with Addie and red like red is just like effortlessly avoiding Addie's like throwing this fire poker around like effortlessly like dodging it and then pluto so you know how again pluto's face is burned and this whole time jason's been trying to do this magic trick where he lights fire what if pluto is just like naturally more gifted just like the others seem to be and every time jason was doing a failed light of this fire the fire was really lighting and that's how pluto's face got burned so yes even though they are less privileged they are still gifted so anyway there you have it there is the movie that i've watched about 60 times in the past two months um i hope that you guys all enjoyed this episode i hope that it made you actually appreciate this movie a little more and appreciate jordan peele a little more because again i think he is just like the greatest horror icon of our generation right now and i can't wait to see what he comes out next what he comes out with next sometimes i forget words I don't know. My like brain works too fast for my mouth to keep up with. Whatever. So there's probably not going to be an episode next week. I'm so sorry. I'm actually, by the time you guys are hearing this, I'm probably going to be on a plane. I'm actually going to New Orleans. Um, Never been. Really excited. I'll tell you all about it when I'm back. And like, I wanted to be like a productive adult and get an episode ready to go out for the Wednesday that I'm going to be gone. Um, But you know, I like work a full-time job and just like life. So I wasn't able to do that, unfortunately. So I'm not going to have an episode out next week, but we will get back to our regularly scheduled programming the week following. So until then, you know where to find me, but follow me on TikTok and Instagram. It's horror underscore chronicles. I post especially on TikTok basically every day. And until next time, watch more horror movies and stay spooky, my friends.